poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness Podcast. Today is Tuesday, which means it's a very tactical day. I am once again joined by John. John, how you doing, sir? Doing well. Got a couple uh, slow play, pre-flop slow plays today that sounded like they worked out. They're actually not my hands for the first time, uh, at least for the YouTube audience. We're going to look at some of Brad's hands. Yeah, we're uh, looking at some hands in my database because you couldn't find any where you successfully slow played preflop in a <laughs> hundred thousand hands. My uh, my aces slow play preflop have well, maybe we shouldn't tell the viewer this because they might not <laughs> they might not do it. But like mine usually end up blowing up in my face. <laughs> well, all right. I mean, what are you gonna do? Sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. But I do say I, I do believe that not slow playing um, big pocket pairs in very specific situations is a pretty catastrophic mistake. Um, There are certainly spots where you are highly incentivized to slow play aces or kings, and we'll dive into these couple of hands, show you a couple of spots that I think um, you're highly incentivized to slow play, give our opinions, and then kind of go from there. But before we do, do dive in to these hands, I did want to mention that uh, got a new URL this week, freenuffle.com, F-R-E-E-N-U-F-F-L-E. We're not freeing it. Nuffle is not caged. Um, just uh, a link that you can go to if you've never made an account on Bovada and would like to get Nuffle $200 course, absolutely free, freenuffle.com. Now, Let's dive into this first hand. John, do you want to break down the action for listener and the viewer? Sure. So uh, Brad starts out under the gun uh, with black aces. He opens $25. Action folds around to the small blind with three bets to $85. And the big blind folds. Um, So this is like the spot that we're going to be talking about for the most part today. I'll just start out by pointing out some of the things that I notice immediately off the bat. This 3-bet sizing is very small for an out-of-position 3-bet. Um, the general pool sizing is 11 big blinds, so it would be $110. And the uh, HUD stats of this player in the small blind look extremely fishy. Over 81 hands, he's playing 54-31, which is just... I mean, that's just way too loose. He's opening way too many hands and calling way too often. Uh, so both those things in conjunction just, I don't know, I, I'm very happy to quickly label this player as a fish. Yeah, I mean, this hand this hand went down, looks like my database is telling me in March, so like five months ago. I can't remember the specific profile of this opponent. I don't know how many hands I had on this villain, like when this hand went down. So I don't know what the the you know the HUD stats told me in game. Like now I have eighty one hands, right? But like maybe this was hand number twenty. Um, so I didn't really. I don't. I don't know how good of a handle I had on what this guy was doing. Other than I think it's pretty clear, and I do remember that they were wild, 
right? Like they're a pretty volatile opponent. They were being very aggressive, taking very aggressive actions. And I think that's like one of the key uh, ingredients to the recipe of slow playing big pocket pairs pre. Right. And even if we didn't have like those, like, you know, 81 hands on him and let's say we only had like 10, but like one, uh, I didn't point this out, but the fact that he didn't top off, um, I think he started with like $960 in conjunction with the, his four three bet sizing preflop. I mean, I don't even need HUD stats to label that as a fish. Like, sure. you start with 960 and you three bet this bad size, <laughs> you, you get the fish tag. Yeah, but I think this needs to be like a specific species of fish, right? Because, like, sure, typically sure. When, when fish three bet, it's not the worst idea to start four betting a lot because mm-hmm. they don't freak, they don't three bet at a high frequency and they tend to call four bets. So, you know, we need like the right species here, which would to me mean they're three betting way too light, which means like they're going to have some folds when we four bet, um, where they're going to be inclined to fold. And then also post flop, they're probably way too aggressive. So like they're going to stab inappropriately, um, fall right into the trap of sunk cost fallacy and just start, you know, battling for money post flop inappropriately. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, like, that was just going to be my next question. It's like, hey, it's it's extremely standard uh, to four-bet aces in the spot. You know, kind of what, what would you need to know about your opponent for deciding to deviate from standard preflop play and, and um, throw in a flat here? And and I guess you just, I mean, that's that's what you're talking about is just like, this has to be like a guy who like maybe like over C-bets flop or just like over triple barrels or just, you know is three betting like tons of trash and and you can see, as we can see this guy has like almost a 13% um three bet percentage preflop which is uh pretty high especially for a fish i think that's that's really high um so yeah uh this like all signs do appear to point to like flatting being very very uh very very reasonable in this situation yeah no, another ingredient the final one that i'll i'll mention here is that the sizing of post-flop C-bets, I think that matters too. When a villain is sizing inappropriately and they're sizing big, or they have a tendency to C-bet like pot or bet pot um, in general, that's their sizing of choice. Then you're more incentivized to flat uh, with your strong hands when you're in position because the pot gets inflated, they bet pot inappropriately, they invest more money, pot gets bigger, they're going to stab more, they're going to fight more when they have low equity. So like, that's another consideration here. Um, Mm -hmm. and with all that said, again, you know, I don't know what I knew in March because I don't really know what I knew yesterday. Uh, (laughs) when you get old, these things kind of happen, right? Um, we'll just say it's because you play so many hands that, you know, they just all blend together. Sure. That that's it. Um, because I play so many hands, they all blend together. No, I, I don't know what I knew. All I do know is that like some things that I just mentioned, some of these ingredients do come into play post-flop. So it makes me, it makes it easy for me to believe that I did notice villain like betting pot, um, see betting pot on flops and not having a tendency to give up. Yeah. So I decided to flat. Um, villain has $860 behind as a reminder, I've got black aces. There's 180 in the pot and we get a pretty nice flop seven, seven, three rainbow. Um, <laughs> can't really ask for much drier than this. And our opponent in the small blind who three bet bets very close to pot 176 into 180. Mm-hmm. John, any thoughts here? No, I mean like 
this is this is exactly what you're talking about just a couple minutes ago. <clears throat> this is <laughs> clearly again like his, his preflop sizing was bad, and this is again just a terrible terrible sizing on seven seven three rainbow. Um, you know, if you looked at like the scale of like your betting options, I think this is like a flop where I'd be betting like either twenty five percent or thirty three percent pot. Definitely not bigger than definitely not bigger than a third i guess like you know if you're if if you could definitely make an argument for like betting like half pot in these spots if you're like doing things like pushing like over like if you want to push an overpair advantage but like this size is just way 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 too big um why, why is it so big John? Never be used. huh why is it so big like why why use 30 percent, 50 percent? why do they outperform pot well for one thing when you when you're betting pot in this spot your bluffs need to be working like your bluffs need to be getting through just like really really high percentage of the time to justify betting such a large size you're also going to want to get called by worse hands um and when you have i don't know lots of hands that you want to bet on lots of hands that you want to see bet on this flop presumably um if you're betting your entire range for the size uh you're now narrowing down your opponent's range to probably only pocket pairs, like big pocket pairs and like 7x. You're never getting floated here by like two overs or like two overs with a backdoor flush draw type of hand. Um, Maybe you don't want to yeah. get floated if you're bluffing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that, that, that's, that could totally be the case. Like that, like, you know, if when you have your, <laughs> like this was something that I actually talked about on like a previous Technical Tuesday that like in spots where like half pot is like, half pot is an option as a, as an out of position three better, um, as a C-bet size, I tried experimenting with something where I, I half pot like my bluffs and I one third my value. But even then, like pot is just, I don't know. That's we got to We got to be able to define why it's bad, right? In order for it to be bad, not just because a fish is doing it, but I think like as a strategy, I, I, the way that the way that the strategy as a whole would look, if you're betting pot here, you're probably supposed to be doing a lot of checking. And I don't think you're going to be doing enough checking. So if you're always betting pot, you're just going to be betting pot way too often. So to me, it just comes as more of a strategy construction reason than, you know, any other reason, right? Like mm -hmm. it, you don't want to be betting pot here with all of your bluffs because then you're just betting pot too often. On ignition, it's actually not the worst um, because nobody's really going to be able to exploit you for overdoing it here. And I think that like betting pot in these spots does get overfolded, right? Like your your bet only needs to go through more than 50% of the time. And it's very easy for me to imagine that villains are going to fold even regs. They're going to struggle to find a lot of the backdoor floats with overcards versus a pot size bet. So they're probably naturally going to overfold more than 50%. So I actually don't think it's like the worst sizing here. I think it's abnormal, but I do think that like as a whole, it's, it's probably profitable. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, if then you like you you wouldn't be betting pot here with like pocket tens or like nines, would you? No, no. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. just saying like I'm just playing devil's advocate, right? Like, all right, all right, all right. Okay, let, let's try to figure out like you know, yeah. If it's not standard, that's okay. But like we do need to define like where the exploit is from your opponent's perspective, and then we need to ask ourselves like, are villains naturally exploiting a pot size bet? And I I think probably not, right? Like a na a natural exploit would be to like raise minimum with a bunch of hands that don't connect to the board. But like, I don't think that 
villains are going to raise minimum with like jack 10 of spades here on seven mm-hmm. seven trade rainbow so mm-hmm. i actually think that like it's probably a pretty nice exploit just betting pot here in general that's just uh i just wanted to add my opinion on this because like i, I think it's interesting to talk about things that are abnormal and not just kind of like you know not not uh kill them outright just because it's a whale choosing that action gotcha gotcha okay any, Anyways, this, this fits there? in like, I don't know, uh, I, I think like I mentioned this, but like this is like exactly what we were hoping for when you trap aces, like this sure. guy's just going to bet really, really huge on That's another flops, exploit, maybe right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the exploit preflop is like villains just going to overaggress and bet really big. And like when they do that very often, you, you would like to have some very strong hands kind of baked in naturally to your range. Mm-hmm. So with that said, I mean... I think there's just not really an argument for raising here with aces. Like there's just, if villain has a pair, then they're probably going to keep blasting. And if they have air, they're probably going to keep blasting. So like just no reason, no reason to raise. No. So I do end up flatting. Um, and now there's 532 in the pot. Villain has 684 behind. And the turn is the four of clubs. So tray of spades, seven of hearts, seven of clubs, four of clubs so backdoor fluster on the board now and villain bets 396 so they bet 396 into 532 leaving themselves with 288 behind i mean i actually do something unconventional here as well which like i think pretty conventionally we would just jam i i decided to flat which really really leads me to believe that i had some had a pretty good intuition that villain was just blasting here with like a whole bunch of nothing yeah and also like on top of that you you probably were pretty sure that he's putting that like 288 in on the river a lot most of the time and he's not just gonna like you know double barrel and give up or like you know i hope that a backdoor flush draw here and then not not bluff the river or something like that i would say like like if you got a backdoor flush draw that like if he's betting backdoor flush draws he or she then like yeah whatever i i should jam I just thought they were betting like a lot of like jack tens or king queens or queen jacks, right? Where it's like, I don't think they're calling all in on the turn. I mean, maybe they do because like the pot at this point would be like, you know, 1300. So it's like, they're calling 300 to win like, oh no, it would be 1500. They're calling, they're getting like six to one or five to one on their money. So like maybe, I remember thinking to myself after this hand that I should have jammed the turn. Um, because of how the river went down, but I'm actually not sure. I think I, I hilariously, I, I had another situation against this guy with Kings uh, in a similar spot where pretty sure they did this exact thing and ended up folding the turn when I jammed with like 200 behind. So <laughs> basically it just wasn't in the cards that I'm going to get this guy's whole stack when they're blasting off. Right. Yeah. And if you see that and you know that they're like betting, betting the size, like leaving, you know, crumbs behind on the turn with, with absolute air. And and they're obviously never calling a jam with air and like you just you know you're sort of just negative free rolling yourself by by jamming the spot like all you all you can do is sort of hope that they put it put the rest of their money in on the river with with air and obviously they don't do that all the time but they never call the turn jam so well they can improve you can do is call right sure, their sure. air their air can just make a pair in which case like then we do get it right yeah yeah so all right the board is tray of spades four of clubs seven of hearts seven of clubs. I already, you know, spoiled the river here. We do call. Now there's 1,300 in the pot. Villains got 288 left. The river double pairs the board. So, Trey Trey, 774. 
I've got aces. It does complete the backdoor flush draw, by the way. Um, but <laughs> that was not not enough incentive for villain to bluff. Um, they ended up checking. I just put it in, obviously, and they folded. Um, and for the yeah, for the YouTube audience and listener at home, the villain had a hand that is this a justifiable hand, John? Do we think? <laughs> Can we make sense of this this exact combo? Uh, yeah, just for the podcast audience, a small blind had queen of clubs, nine of spades, which is, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, that, I'm pretty sure that's just supposed to be a fold small blind and, and, and nothing else. Um, yeah, I think I mean, this guy's a fish, but like, man, he, he didn't bluff the river with like the queen of clubs. Not that it really matters, I guess. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's just a genius. He's like, yeah, this guy never folds for a 288 on the river. And, and <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that genius would be how I would describe them, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, they, they got the queen nine, which I think really does play into the theme of like they're over C betting, they're using inappropriate sizes post flop, they're just over aggressing. And so having baked in strong hands is very, very valuable against, you know, this specific player profile. Yeah. Um, and after the break, we're going to share another hand that's against a reg. It's going to be the button versus the big blind in a little bit different circumstances than playing against a volatile whale. Stick around after the break to check out the second hand. You've survived pre-flop boot camp. You've shot the fish in a barrel. Now, prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy. A comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool. Data-driven hero bluffs. Light call-downs and perfect value bets that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings. Feeding Frenzy. Available now at ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Feeding Frenzy. Welcome back to today's episode of Tactical Tuesday. This episode with the focus on slow playing some premium hands pre-flop. John, you ready to dive in and start breaking down hand number two? Yeah. So this hand actually happens against a reg this time instead of a fish. So Brad is on the button, king of clubs, king of diamonds, pocket kings opens to $30. The small blind folds. Uh, the reg and the big blind, who looks very aggressive, playing 26-20 with a 17% three bet. 17% three bet. That is, that's a lot. Um, three bets to 125 <laughs> I'm actually sitting here like a little confused at my three X open on the button. I don't know like if my I would so this hand was actually played on the poker coaching stream um like last week. So for poker coaching premium members, I do like a three hour play and explain video once a month on there. And I was having some major problems with intuitive tables on Bovada. Like mm -hmm. I was misclicking everywhere. I was like clicking fold and calling raises from under the gun with like 10, six off. So like, I don't know what the deal was. Um, basically I think it was like any sort of soft click was like screwing things up. So that's my excuse. I, I, I wouldn't really ever open three X on the button. I don't think, um, it's not part of my usual strategy, but what's your usual open size two and a half. Yeah. Just two and a half everywhere. Oh, ah, I used to three X the button until like not that long ago. Yeah, I know. I know it's not like crazy. It it just oh. looks weird to me because it's like not a oh, thing that I oh, typically I see, I do. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why I'm pointing it out. But like, whatever. Yeah. 
Hey, um, but because you opened so big, you get this big three bet and we got kings. Like everything's working out. <laughs> every, every, everything's working out. And I don't know what my session stats were. I, I believe that I was playing due to variance, basically, like over 70 or 80 hands. Like I was looking kind of nitty. I think I did, I don't know if I had a three bet yet, or maybe I, my three bet was like 3% or 4%. Um, so I did have some like reservations about four betting here with Kings specifically on the button versus an aggressive three better, just because, you know, it felt like villain can be fairly wide here. I haven't four bet yet, or I haven't even three bet yet. So like four betting is just going to generate way too many folds in position. Um, and I think really that was the deciding factor as to why I flatted on the button here beyond like any of the other factors against the fish. Like if a fish three bet me here and it's just a regular old fish, then I would just four bet here, like at almost an absolute, uh, absolute percentage, unless they were like the fish described in the first hand. But like here, I think this situation was just such that over 70 or 80 hands, I hadn't been able to be aggressive, just like folding a lot card dead and just didn't want to four bet. Yeah, and I think like that also, again, like in conjunction with the fact that the uh, reg in the big blind appears to be very aggressive, you know, and we've talked about this uh, a little bit off the podcast um, about how at 1K, you know, regs will take advantage of the fact that you are capping your range in spots, um, you know, even preflop and, and, you know, they'll go after you a little bit more or maybe way more than than you see at, at lower stakes at even like 200 NL. Um, so adding these sorts of traps against against very aggressive regs who are capable of trying to take advantage of the fact that you're capped, I think is is um, definitely worth worth thinking about. Another thing too that somebody in uh, one of the past boot camp classes uh, mentioned, they asked a question, and it's a question that I won't really forget. They asked, you know, there was a spot where we have queens and we're like flatting a three bet, I think. And they were like, why are we not four betting queens? Like, why is four betting queens not profitable? Right. And, and my answer was, of course it's profitable. Like that, that's not really the question. That's not the right question here. Right. Like the question is like, which is more profitable four betting mm -hmm. or flatting? Mm -hmm. Because like, they're both profitable. Like as long as you don't fold anything you do beyond that point is going to make money just mm -hmm. because you have a really good hand and you have position. So anyway, like in a spot like this, I do think that like four betting is of course going to be profitable but the way that the situation lined up i thought that flatting would be the more profitable path and like i think that for the listener that's how you need to think of these spots is like yeah you've got a good hand and like four betting is profitable but like maybe flatting is more profitable given a specific dynamic that you're in at the moment which by the way like there's no preflop solve that's going to take into consideration any specific dynamic because like that's just not how they work. Right. Like in the previous hand, preflop bootcamp ranges, monker ranges have aces as a pure four bet. I'm sure both of those have kings pure four betting in this spot as well. Um, so yeah, these are like massive, massive deviations from um, kind of solved uh, solved poker strategy, um, which just shows that like there's so much room to, you know, it's not like, oh, solvers are out there. Now everything's figured out and you can only play one way. Like there's so much room to to deviate and in ways that will generate tons and tons of extra profit from uh, solved strategies. Yeah, I I think I had this conversation with Berkey on the uh, the episode that folks get for opting into the email newsletter, and, and like the way that I described it was like, 
you know, people always say like, ah, oh, maybe that's okay in a vacuum. And like the way that I think about it is like every hand is almost in a vacuum, a very specific vacuum. And, and like that vacuum merits investigation. It, it merits looking at the data points that are in front of you, finding the exact configuration and the exact spot that you're in so that you can find the what you believe to be the optimal strategy for this hand in this moment against this opponent in this position, given past conditions and everything. And that's something that like, you know, the solver crowd kind of forgets about is like, yeah, you're looking at an output in a specific vacuum and maybe the vacuum that you're playing in is very different. And so you still got to think like you still have to use your head. Yeah. All so right. that's what Brad does here and just flats the 125. Get a jack of spades, 10 of clubs, seven of hearts flop and the big blind. bets. Oh, whoa. Okay. See a check from the big blind. Um, yeah. I, I want to go, I, I, I want to address something else too before we like move forward on the flop. I want to mm -hmm. address that like, I don't know that flatting is more profitable than four betting, right? Like I can't prove it. And, and I think that like, that's a thing that mo a lot of people feel uncomfortable with, like not being able to pr prove that like a deviation is more profitable. But like, I've just learned over time that like, I have to trust myself and I give myself the freedom to make these deviations because I trust myself implicitly. And like, if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But it, it's way more valuable for me to be able to trust myself than to question myself in these spots and then start ruminating on like a deviation that I thought I could have made, but didn't make. I would just rather do it, let the chips fall where they may, and then just go from there. Because I think that like trusting myself has taken me to where I am today. And so like, why... Why change something if it's not broken? Well, funny that you bring that up. Um, just a really short tangent. Someone asked me like yesterday or two days ago, really recently, like, oh, how would you feel about like playing Brad like at a head in a heads up match or like a live, you know, in a live poker setting, like playing your coach, right? And I said, like, I don't think I'd really like it because like I'm not like this like super GTO guy. Like that's just not my style. I sort of like end up out in the woods like a lot in my hands and like, you know, tackle Tuesday listeners will like you know i'm sure they 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 know some hands that like i've just ended up like in like no man's land and i was like i said to my friend i was like yeah and like brad he loves being out in the woods man like <laughs> he, he has like a, a like a fucking cabin out there and just, and just like <laughs> you know like that's his shit like being out there and like i would hate to be playing against someone who like you know trusts themselves in these spots to make like massive deviations against someone that they think is you know deviating from standard gto strategy themselves like he's not afraid to do that and like you know you would just probably like clobber me if, if we both if i ran into him in the woods basically i got more experience being in the woods you know i yeah. got more experience <laughs> living on my own uh living out in the wilderness right so like <laughs> come back to me in 10 years and i have to imagine that you know you'll be far and above a better outdoorsman than me how do, how do we get in this like metaphor by the way it's uh <laughs> Because uh, I'm I shitty at the outdoors. That's the irony here. Like I would, <laughs> I would survive like ten minutes, like out in the woods by myself with no, uh, that's the same. Uh, <laughs> not much of a camper either. <laughs> All right, like we have a hand here. Um, yeah, let's, okay. So have we so even the, said what the flop is to the the podcast audience? Jack of spades, ten of clubs, seven of hearts. The big blind checks. I guess that's not like crazy on the swap to to see a check. Um, I would just think a lot of people are see betting range. Um, so it does appear like that this guy has a somewhat more uh, nuanced like three betting or nuanced see betting strategy than than just like one third or or half pot this spot with range. Um, does this check like signify anything to you? 
Not really. Um, I mean, it could just mean they have a very natural hand that uh, wants to check. Like, I think that's, they could even either have like a pre-built strategy for these type of boards, or they could just have a hand that like naturally wants to check, like, mm -hmm. you know, nines or eights or seven, eight, or like 10, nine, um, queen, 10, king, 10, ace, 10, maybe those kind of hands with maybe mm -hmm. like a back door. I think that like, the one thing that I will say about this spot is I don't think villains are checking like top of range op often enough. Like I don't think they're flopping straights and checking top of range. I don't think they're really flopping sets and checking top of range. I don't think they're, you know, flopping top two and checking. So like aces, uh, aces, maybe. Yeah. I think aces are quite reasonable. Like that's a hand that like doesn't need a ton of protection. Um, and is fine with like inducing bluffs and, folks getting out of line. I, I would say that like one, one sort of flaw in it is that I think this type of board is set up for me to polarize like betting versus check. And I'm going to check back a lot of like single pair hands. So like the flop is going to go check, check like very, very often. I think if you have aces, which, you know, may merit consideration as to checking aces here. Yeah. Um, I can say just personally for myself that like one, the three better checks, Broadway boards, especially double Broadway boards, um, I pretty much just check range behind and like on the on the lower boards. Like if this, for example, if this swap was seven high instead of Jack ten high, um, I can pretty confidently say that I'm I'm betting close to range. Or I guess like the worse my hand is, the more likely I am to bet on on those types of boards. So yeah, I guess you check this swap back with your kings. Yeah, I think another thing is important to say here too is like. The hands that I'm letting realize equity by checking back, like ace queen, ace king, and king queen, like I have a pretty good hand that blocks a lot of those. Mm -hmm. Like I block ace king, I block king queen. Um, and I actually think that like those type of hands probably C bet more often than not. Um, they start by C betting instead of checking. So yeah. I'm not like ultra concerned. I think like the concerning cards would be like, you know, a jack, a 10, a seven, an eight, or a nine. Um, those cards are like, I think those hit villains flop checking range much harder than like you know an ace a king or a queen right. um so yeah i, I just decided, decided to check back plus I, I think that like the popular perception would be that i don't check back like top of range that often and so like just adding this um hand in there is like a check back trap i think um yeah i think it just will perform well versus the way villains constructing yeah, right. It's like similar to the logic on the flop, like against like strong regs who are capable of taking advantage of the fact that we're capping ourselves. Like, let's just cap ourselves again on the flop and, you know, try to get something from a range that probably isn't very strong. At this yeah. Point. And I mean, like something that I think the listener needs to bear in mind is like inducing bluffs from low equity hands is valuable. Like getting bets out of low equity hands is valuable when you have a high equity hand. And so, like, don't underestimate the power of like checking back on some boards that look somewhat scary, but like merit checking back to get value out of like super low equity hands that just aren't going to put money in until we, you know, quote unquote, cap ourselves by checking back. And I think too, like just in general poker theory, like people don't check enough. So like, yeah, I, yeah. It, it, I, I'm always trying to find spots to check back more often. Mm -hmm. So I do check back. And the turn is, we get a good turn, John. Like, it, there are some bad turns we could have seen. This turn is pretty nice. The four of yeah. hearts uh, <laughs> doesn't really do much. The, the board is like jack of spades, ten of clubs, seven of hearts, four of hearts. And villain checks again. So what do you make of this? Okay, so now I feel very confident that villain has some sort of showdown that is trying to 
again, get to showdown. Um, like you said, I think like a lot of his bluffs um, are gonna bet the flop, like hands like king queen and you know, queen nine suited, or even hands like I got like ace queen. Um, I think are are just gonna start out with a bet. I think a lot of the hands that you know for some one reason or another didn't want to bluff the flop are are certainly gonna uh, take a stab on the turn. Um, lots of you know just backdoor uh, hard, hard, uh, excuse me, lots of hands that like turn backdoor hearts that were you know very low equity on the flop, like I had like five, six suited, uh, you know, I think is, is definitely going to take a stab here. So uh, at this point, once the, once the big blind checks twice, um, it feels a lot like, you know, 10X, maybe some of his weaker Jack X, pocket eights, pocket nines, those sorts of hints. Um, what about their traps? Do you think they'd be checking their traps twice? Like Ooh, aces, That's a good question. Aces. I mean, like you said, like I just don't give even regs enough credit for checking their traps on the flop. Um, I would look at the I would look at his check on the flop and and almost instantly be very comfortable that I have the best hand now. Um, I'm comfortable. Maybe we list aces like sometimes like that. That's like one thing. That's like one hand that I would be worried about like a little yeah. bit. But like that's pretty much the only one. Like you said, I don't think I don't think the pool is doing a good enough job of checking eight nine or sets or whatever. And I, not that not that they should be doing that a lot of the time. But I I just don't think that happens almost ever. Yeah, and I, I left out something else nice that can happen by checking back the flop, and that's like we get to realize this data point of like what villain does on turn, and like once they, you know, I feel really good on the flop once they check, and I feel like with absolute confidence now on the turn that like yeah, yeah right. kings like there's just no villain has eliminated all the traps from their range because they check twice, um, so I'm just feeling like. Really good. And like you said, um, just honing in on bluff catchers. Like I'm very confident that they have a bluff catcher, some sort of like single pair hand. And so like after checking back the flop, after flatting pre, um, getting a you know, flush uh, possibility creating turn, just ready to start betting. And what size here do you go with? So my standard just sizing in this spot would probably be somewhere between two thirds and three quarters. Um, maybe on this. <laughs> yeah. That's like exactly uh, what I use is 70% between. Yeah. Two and I think and like going quarters. the larger size here is actually makes more sense. Like if, you know, let's say like my range is between 66 and 75, I think going 75 here makes a lot of sense because like you said, like we know this guy has a sort of like a showdown bound hand or a hand that is something that wants to call. Also um, that kind of sets up stacks a little bit more comfortably for like a, a slight overbet jam on the, on the river instead of, you know, a big overbet jam, which is, you know, that's, uh, like that's what I would want versus a, a hand that's like trying to bluff catch. I don't I don't want to like blast the river way too big. So when I'm like pretty confident that I'm gonna get called in the spot, um, I think going bigger is is uh, definitely the way to go. And may maybe even going bigger than 75 is is reasonable because like you're gonna have you know no shortage of bluffs on this four of hearts turn. I think. Um, yourself, I think so. I think that like the problem with going bigger, I think 90 percent can be reasonable, but I don't like overbet because. The problem to me with overbet is like we have more efficient sizings we can use. And so like why are we choosing overbet with like our whole range here? Like what does an overbet strategy look like on the turn? I just feel like overbet is going to be perceived as like much stronger from villain's perspective. We're like, yeah, maybe we do have, maybe we start having more traps when we check back the flop and then 1.5x the turn, right? Because mm. like we know we can 1.5x the turn and then jam rivers and get it in um, pretty easily. So I, I'd be very hesitant to overbet here and just kind of do what, you know, take the action that I think villain expects me to take with, you know, a wide variety of my range. Right, right. 
Uh, so yeah, I, I go with the 70 percenter, um, which is 176 and the 255 and villain calls like no surprise there. And, uh, we head into the river. I've got 824 behind villains got, uh, there's 607 in the pod and villains got me covered. Um, we get one of those, one of those beautiful, beautiful river. What a run out when you're trapping, man. Four yeah. of hearts, three of clubs, three of clubs on the river, by the way, for the podcast listeners. So the board is now Jack 10, seven, four, three, no flush draw. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pure. It feels good when this is the run out when you're slow playing, right? Like you, you don't want to see the nine or eight of hearts on the river, <laughs> like just ruins everything. Um, so yeah, we get the, we get the pure run out, which is nice. Um, tray of hearts and now villain checks and, you know, we have 824, the pot is 607 thoughts here on sizings, any thoughts at all? I'm just going to say that I'm probably going to jam all the hands that bet the river here um, for about like 130%, 133% pot. Um, again, like I said, on the turn, like we're going to have like lots of hard heart hands or like, I think we're going to be perceived to have a lot of hard heart hands that bluff and like maybe even just like random air balls, right? Like the big blind check twice. Oh, now we, now we're just going to stab with, you know, you know, just hands that are just like absolute error. Maybe we even turn hands like pocket fives or pocket po- uh, pocket fives or pocket sixes into a bluff on this run out to try and, you know, hold out weak jack X or 10 X or pocket eights or pocket nine sometimes. So that being, you know, that being the case, uh, I'm pretty happy to just jam my value here as well. Yeah. Same story is on the turn, right? Where like the expectation I think is about the size that I use. And here on the river, I think the expectation is all in. Like it would be weird to face like a one third, I think here it would like they're they're probably expecting a jam on this river. So right. like, let's just jam because I think that that's like the perception is that's what my bluffs want to do, and yeah. so just kind of fall in line with that. Um, so we do we do go for the jam, and uh, yeah, villain tanked for quite a while. They went into their time bank. It was one of those situations that like you know sometimes you you jam for value and you think like they're never gonna call. Like you just know that like they're just not calling here. Like this was one that I was like, I would have bet a lot of money that they're going to call. Like I, <laughs> they're like the curiosity is going to get the better of them. They're going to start having these thoughts of like, Oh, what hands do I like check twice and then call the turn with and like not raise the turn and not see about the flop. And like, am I at the top of my range here on the river? Like what better hands do I have? I feel like I could easily have some bluffs. I don't know what I beat. Um, Oh, time's running out. I guess I'm just going to click the call button. Like that was how I imagined that situation going. Um, I don't have a heart in my hand. <laughs> I don't have a heart. <laughs> That's like, one that I tell myself all the time before I make a bad call on the river. Right. And I speak from experience here in uh, verbalizing the thought process because like I've had all of these thoughts, right? And so like it <laughs> coach many guys that have these same thoughts that they verbalize um, almost verbatim. So like that's what I think is going on in villain's head. But yeah, they timed down to like four seconds and click the call button um, and we ended up winning. Villain had the queen 10 of spades. So... I don't think this is like a great hand to call with. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think ace queen is like a natural bluff uh, that one of the more natural bluffs that we have that kind of flatten position here and check back the flop because we have some equity we want to realize. So like, I think ace queen's a pretty natural bluff. Uh, King queen. I could imagine checking king queen back here. Some too, like some combos of king queen off that I don't want to get check raised and like having some hands that like, we can turn the nuts with and also turn additional equity, turn top pair, like just kind of check protect my equity by checking back the flop. So like 
I think that like those are the hands that you're kind of looking for from villain's perspective and blocking that is not necessarily great. Uh, with that said, like, I don't know, they're kind of in a tough spot. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of put them in a pretty shitty spot here on the river. So I guess I'll ask for your thoughts here. Um, what would you do? I guess with the queen 10, what do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 as sad as it is, I probably would have had the exact thought process that you verbalized where I like, well, like, I don't check very many hands like stronger than this twice or like three times. I don't have hearts. Like, uh, I hope he's just like, he bets the with, flop. Like, some pair. Yeah, they bet like, the flop with like a lot of their nuts. They don't check right, back. Right. Back a ton yeah, of value. Like, I guess like I'm just hoping for like him turning like a pair into a bluff or some air ball into a bluff like enough of the time here and just fall with a 10. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I think the situation shaped up as such that like basically <laughs> they put themselves in a spot where like they're bluff catching probably too much and I'm not going to be bluffing taking this line hardly ever, which kind of is sucky for them. Um, I, I think, think like one, one, maybe like one pertinent thing here is that like he probably never expects you to have aces, kings or queens here. And like that just that part of your range is probably just completely eliminated from his thought process. And yeah. And that that's like pretty meaningful when you have like when you have like eighteen combos of of hands that like he's just not even considering that you can have for value. Um, that that's like starts being pretty huge. And and I think that's sort of what um for me is is sort of like the big point in this hand is that like when you do slow play um hands and spots where people just expect you to pure four bet a lot of those hands and they just eliminate all of them. Like they can start finding calls with hands like you know like a ten in the spot. Yeah, and. They can probably, I mean, I'm sure they're, I'm sure if they're bluff catching with Queen 10 suit, I just have to imagine that they're bluff catching with everything they've played in this way. Everything yeah. they've taken, taken every hand they've, they've taken this line with, they're just bluff catching all of them, like eights, nines, any Jack, any 10, probably any seven as well, because like a seven is very easy to have like blocker properties, seven, right. eight, uh, you know, hands like that, nine, 10, 10, eight, if they three bet those. So yeah, I mean, it's. That's a very good point that you made, very astute observation that like when you do have some of these traps in your flatting range, villains are going to, you know, underestimate just how wide your value is, which is going to lead them to kind of bluff catch a little bit too wide, which in some spots that get created is very, very good for us. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, that'll do it for this episode of Tactical Tuesday. This nice. was a good one probably because I brought the hands finally. We, we didn't, have any, <laughs> didn't have any king queen offs this time. Um, I bring the goods, man. Aces and kings. These are the hands, right? One day I'll get dealt aces or kings <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, one final call to action. You know, if you want to check out Nuffle, my MDA course on neutralizing flop leads, dealing with facing donk bets for free, freenuffle.com, F-R-E-E-N-U-F-F-L-E for signing up for Bovada if you've never had an account. That'll do it for this Tactical Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your support. I very much, um, I'm very grateful. I very much appreciate it. John, tell the viewer, see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. 
book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.